Sports Wrap. SFM South Africa's news and information leader. Hello and welcome to SFM Sports Wrap. This is the uh, Monday edition. I'm Dwayne DeLocker. Good to be back and uh, good to join you in 2017. I hope you had a fantastic festive season. I hope you had an opportunity to take a break and visit some family and enjoy some of the good things that life had to offer over the festive season. But uh, I recently got back and now an opportunity to get back on air and have a chat to you. It's uh, half past six through seven o'clock. We're going to be talking sport, talking football in particular. We're going to be talking about uh, the decision by the Premier Soccer League, uh, talking about its amended fixture list for the remainder of the season owing to uh, various congestions. We'll also talk about the Africa Cup of Nations which is uh, currently underway where we'll catch up with two of the legends of South African sport. Uh, indeed we're going to be talking, uh, get details from Chris uh, Bowers as well from Melbourne Park about the Australian Open but we'll get straight into your sports news with some football now. Reigning champions could have uh, begun the defence of their title. They uh, are still nil-nil against fellow West Africans Togo though in today's first match of the 2017 Africa Cup of Nations. At 9 o'clock, Democratic Republic of Congo faced Morocco in the second match in Group C. Meanwhile, the Premier Soccer League has released an amended fixture list for the remainder of the 2016-2017 APSA Premiership season. It includes postponed and abandoned fixtures from the first half of the league. This has been a challenging season for the PSL to manage, with factors such as the Olympic Games, the Africa Cup of Nations and the impact of Mamelodi Sundown's CAF Champions League win on the programme. The amended fixture list also accommodates four clubs participating in this year's continental club competitions with league action resuming on the 3rd of February now with Bidvestfits hosting Orlando Pirates. The season set to uh, uh, finish with the Nedbank Cup final on the 24th of June. Tennis news, uh, there were very nearly a few upsets in the opening round of uh, fixtures at this year's first Grand Slam, the Australian Open, but tennis correspondent Chris Bowers filed this report from Melbourne Park. An opening day that came close to delivering several upsets, but in the end produced just one. That was the defeat of the number four seed, Simona Halep, who put her 6-3, 6-1 ousting by the American Shelby Rogers down to a knee injury, but the weight of expectation may also have played a part. Three of the men's top ten had to go to five sets, Stan Wawrinka, Kena Shikori and Marin Cilic, but all three came through, and the women's defending champion Angelique Kerbo was pushed to three sets by Lazia Tsarenko, despite having a match point in the second set. We also had a rather ring-rusty Roger Federer reach the second round, but he needed four sets to beat Jürgen Meltzer, one of the few players left on the tour who's older than Federer, albeit less than three months older. It was a hot day, but nothing like as hot as tomorrow promises to be. The Mercury is due to hit the upper 30s Celsius, and the women's number two seed Serena Williams faces the promising Swiss Belinda Bencic in the heat of the afternoon, after which Novak Djokovic faces an equally tough opener in the evening against Fernando Vadasco, last year's first-round conqueror of Rafael Nadal. Chris Bowers for SAFM Sport, Melbourne. Rugby News, Irish club Ulster are relishing the prospect of having Springbok loose forward Arno Buerta play for them. Ulster earlier announced the signing of the 25-year-old from the Bulls. He'll join his new side at the conclusion of this year's Super Rugby competition. Cricket News, Bangladesh women kept the five-match series alive against South Africa's women, defeating uh, South Africa by 10 runs in the third ODI in Cox's Bazaar by defending 136. The result means South Africa lead the series 2-1 with two ODIs to play. Meanwhile, Kane Williamson sees New Zealand's run chased by the scruff of the to lead his side to an improbable seven-wicket win over Bangladesh on the final day of the first test of the Basin Reserve. Black Cap skipper scored 104 not out, reaching his century from just 89 balls as the hosts reached 217 for three with 17 overs odd remaining in the match. Just finally, in motorsport, Valtteri Bottas has been named as Lewis Hamilton's new teammate at Mercedes. The Finn replacing retired world champion Nico Rosberg after being freed to join the Formula One giants by Williams, the 27-year-old Finn's well-touted move to the all-conquering 
wandering German constructor was facilitated by Williams persuading Felipe Massa to come out of retirement to race for them in 2017. Mercedes were left scrambling for a second driver when Rosberg dramatically retired from the sport in December, just days following his driver's title triumph. And that's your sports news. Please join me, Richard Wamba, on Saturday the 21st of January as we play for the first time on South African radio the controversial masterpiece Candida Nabiso Mobutu by Franco Lombo Macchiati and his band, the Tupisan OK Jazz from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. The African Connection with Richard Wamba on SAFM every Saturday afternoon from 1 to 3. We set the stage for great debates and memorable discussions. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. This is Sport on SAFM, every supporter's greatest resource. Information leader. Now, before we talk about the Africa Cup of Nations, uh, let's focus first on what's happening at home. And the uh, Premier Soccer League releasing an amended fixture list for the uh, remainder of the 2016-2017 APSA Premiership season that includes the postponed and abandoned fixtures from the first half of the league season. Uh, on the line, we've got PSL official Lukolo September. Lukolo, thanks for joining us. Good evening. Um, good evening to the listeners of SAFM. Thanks for this opportunity, buddy. And uh, it's good to chat to you again. I think it's the first time in the new year, so I, I, I should wish you a very happy new year, and I hope 2017 is going to be a great year for uh, for you on a personal and professional note as well. Listen, you know, as I said to you, in, uh, when you talk about an issue of happiness, you talk about a very cheap subject, which, if I had to dwell on it from a philosophical point of view, wouldn't really have time to finish it today. <laughs> but thanks for the thanks for the kind remarks. Thank well, you, brother. Oh, good. Let's let's talk about this amended fixture list now. Um, we've seen the fixture list coming out. The, the initial uh, schedule was uh, was set to have the season ending on the third of June with the Nedbank Cup final. Uh, according to this amended fixture list, uh, we, we've seen a proposed date of the twenty fourth of June. Am I right in saying it's a proposal rather than a finalised fixture list, or is this set in stone as much as fixtures can be? Look, I'm actually glad that you actually asked that question, first of all. I think you must, first of all, just to give you a little bit of a background, you know that uh, last season we had very healthy challenges, which includes the Africa of Nations, of course, which is happening currently, the Olympics, and the moment of sundowns, the achievement of the sundowns, which is not necessarily a bad thing, it's a very good thing, actually, for our country. Them playing in the Club World Cup, these are some of the threats that we had to encounter. Of course, this ensures that it calls for us to act differently, because these are extraordinary circumstances. They obviously released a provision or well, a list uh, of pictures. I think what I can say, well, as a matter of fact, what I can say to you is that from that fiction list, what is cast in stone is up to the end of March. Now, after that, there is a bit of a fluid situation because we have some of our clubs that are playing in the CAF Champions League and also the Cup. Now, the results, they vary. Some of the clubs fall out, some of the clubs uh, advance, some of the clubs move from the uh, uh, Champions League to the Confederation Cup. This presents different scenarios, and this frees up a lot of other weekends. Now, today what we did is that we announced a provisional 
a date for the finish of the season. Now, it's subject to change because what might happen is that one club might move from this competition to the other. And also, we've got the Netflix Cup competition. It depends on how fast some of the clubs advance. When they don't advance some of them, it frees up some space. Of course, we want everyone else to succeed, which is great, but creates its own challenges. So at the moment, the 24th of June is not a finalized date. However, a worst-case scenario, if you like to call it that. We want to plan from the worst-case scenario and work our way back. But this is, of course, part of um, the resolution of the executive committee meeting, which was on the 30th of September. We celebrated it, and we did elect our club after what's been writing. Uh, and, of course, our club understands our situation at the moment. Yeah, I think that's fair enough because you do have so many uh, different aspects to consider. And as you say, it is an extraordinary year because I looked at it and I thought 24th of June, that goes 10 odd days beyond the international window, which is in itself a rather exceptional circumstance. Look, whenever you are presented with a complex uh, problem, uh, people sometimes talk about simple solutions. I don't think so. I think you must come up with complex solutions that look simple to everyone else. And that's what we are trying to do. We are presented with a very complex situation, and we are trying to deal with it in the best possible manner. That includes trying to uh, look at a different number of scenarios, working from the worst-case scenario, and working that way our way back. And I think we actually have a team that is quite competent, uh, both at the office and also at an executive level, that understands all these issues and challenges. Well, I think it's great, and I think it's very responsible as well to be discussing it as early as you have. I know it was certainly touted uh, last year when, when Mamalodi Sundowns was on that great run and, of course, ahead of their uh, FIFA Club World Cup participation. But uh, thank you very much as well, Lukola, uh, for clarifying that up to the end of March it is set in stone. But beyond that, uh, depending on uh, results in the Nedbank Cup and, of course, depending on uh, various other results in continental club competition, it is subject to change as well. So you've clarified at least this is a worst-case scenario. Thank you very much for your time this evening and uh, go enjoy the Africa Cup of Nations now. I think well, just one last thing I would like to add. I mean, I know that I mean, I've been reading from the people who say, well, these people can't even say. Look, imagine a situation whereby we, we release a custom stone picture right now and we happen to have a situation where by April, some of the days have opened up, and there is no football. The same people yeah. would say, oh, these people at the PSL are so incompetent, they can't play some of those pictures now. You see, so <laughs> I think one of the things in life we have to make with my friend is that you can't please everybody, but you just have to keep on doing the right thing. Oh, that's it. That's it. Uh, no, I think uh, I congratulate you on taking this move early on and certainly trying to clarify it as early as you have as well as the Premier Soccer League. But uh, look forward to September. Thank you very much for your time this evening. Thank you for the opportunity. SAFM Sports Wrap. SAFM South Africa's news and information leader. Now, let's talk Africa Cup of Nations and indeed focus on some of the uh, great fixtures that we've seen already, some of the surprise results, some would argue, uh, when you consider that uh, Zimbabwe were uh, underdogs and Guinea-Bissau was certainly not favoured to claim points, but indeed they have already in uh, opening fixtures of the Africa Cup of Nations of 2017 being played in Gabon. Uh, Marks Mapunyani, the legendary striker, is on the line. He's been watching all of the action. Marks, thanks for joining us. Uh, good evening and uh, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you, Dwayne, and thanks for inviting me. Uh, it's good to chat to you. I know you watch every minute of, uh, of every game when it comes to, to the Africa Cup of Nations. It's always an exciting tournament, I find, because it's, it tends to happen when the players are in the middle of their European seasons, generally, and they're at the very top of the game. There's no fatigue like we see sometimes in the European Championships or a World Cup sometimes creeping in. But to some of these results, 
I've really been surprised by. And I think two of the standout results were the Guinea-Bissau draw against Gabon and the other was the Zimbabwe draw against uh, Algeria. Have you seen the opening uh, four fixtures that have concluded already? Well, very interesting indeed, and especially the uh, Group A, because uh, there, there was no winner, outright winner, mm. and uh, everything is still uh, deadlocked. I mean, one point, all of them, and uh, I hope it doesn't become a situation uh, that, that, that uh, will resemble the one last time in Equatorial Guinea, where all the teams in the, in the group yes. were tied in every respect. But uh, just looking at the game, uh, the, the, those games in Group A, I mean, if you look at Gabon, home favorite, and everyone was, think, or was thinking it's going to be the home team, going to be the home team. But that late equalizer, a brilliant equalizer, I might add, uh, by Universal, just spanned the fence. And uh, the only thing that uh, really was going for them is that their favorite son scored on the day. And uh, then later on, we got a situation where we got another draw, where we just thought, what is happening now? How are we going to end up uh, with draws all the way? Well, this is it. I mean, you talk about Group A and the fact that it's yeah, one point each, one goal each, and everything is dead level in that group overall. Um, but when you look at a side like Guinea-Bissau, they're making their debut. They weren't expected to, uh, to do anything, certainly not against the host nation. But from a, a host's perspective, Marks, do, do you think that opening draw set a bit of a, a, a somber tone in a country that already since September has had a bit of a, a, a sour note post-elections? Yeah, in fact, uh, the only thing that people don't have, have to realize, Gwen, is that uh, when it comes to this uh, hosting story, it also puts pressure on the host country because you have to also agree to the fact that uh, the uh, Gabonese never had a proper qualification because they obviously are hosting. So it was just, everything was more like a friendly. They were just adding to the group. So it doesn't really, or it didn't get them to know how good they can be. And they just got a root awakening when it came to the real contest against the team that they thought they would just walk all over them. And the pressure was on them. Pressure was going to work either way for them, either for or against them. And uh, unfortunately, it worked against them because they were expected to deliver. They pushed too hard. They didn't look like a refined fight for me on the day. That said, though, they do have some of the biggest names in, uh, in, in African football playing in Europe. And, of course, uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, as you mentioned, came to the party, scored the opening goal of the, uh, the tournament. And, in fact, he scored the opening goal of the tournament now at three times for, uh, for, for Gabon, 2012, 2013, and now 2017. It's a pretty, pretty astonishing record for uh, Aubameyang. But when you, when you look at the fact that Aubameyang, when you look at the fact that Sadio Mane, when you look at the fact that uh, Riyad Mahrez with his brace, I mean, all the big names, that were touted to perform have actually come to Gabon and performed. That certainly must bode very well for the tournament when the big names pitch up. That, that really impressed me, especially after the brace uh, yesterday. And I thought, wow, and then the penalty. I mean, it came, and, and maybe you're someone who say, yeah, but no, my name was a penalty. But these are the penalties that you give them to the trusted players that are obviously big names like those. So the big names have scored, but what it simply means also, it means the tournament is on now. Because if you look at the Euro, we waited for the big names to put the ball in the back of the net until we got started. Then we realized we're in business. But then, when we get back to uh, the, uh, the the game where Mares was there, Mares got just one of those uh, <clears throat> movements that uh, will always be, will never change, will always be the same. I mean, he's got this knack of uh, on the run, taking players on and shooting while you think he's going to take the next man on. And that's how he scores his goals. Uh, even in Europe, he does the same. Uh, he does the same. And one wonders why the uh, Zimbabweans didn't notice how he scored his first. 
because his second was almost identical. Yeah, he's got that. He's, he's got that silky smooth ability. I remember uh, chatting to Daniel Bennett. In fact, about uh, he he refereed one of the qualification games, and uh, I remember ch- chatting to him. I said, "What is Mares like when you're running next to him when he's got the ball at his feet?" And he says, "Next to Mohamed Abutrika, he's never seen a player with that amount of ball control, with that amount of skill, with that amount of class, with a ball at his feet." And I just thought, if that tells you a story, when he's been compared to the uh, the great Mohamed Abutrika, uh, when he's when he's only relatively recently I should say burst onto the uh, the global scene but Mares showed his finishing prowess and I will say though when I looked at that result overall I felt that Zimbabwe were hard done by did you get a feeling that despite the class and despite the brilliance of uh, Mares drawing, drawing them back level that Zimbabwe actually missed out on claiming all three points when you consider that Malajila for example could have wrapped it up 3-1 with 5 minutes to play or 10 minutes to play well, that's the nature of the game. When you don't take your chances, you pay the price. I mean, look at the game last night when uh, when Senegal was playing Tunisia. I mean, that's a game that, uh, in all honesty, Tunisia could have come back and won that game by four four goals to two, or maybe even five goals to two, because uh, the, the Senegalese were under siege, and uh, they defended until the last second. And they were just unfortunate. I mean, at some point, the keeper was throwing his body and legs everywhere. And the ball was just hitting his legs and hitting his hands. And that's how unfortunate they were. And uh, you look at the results and you wake up and think, wow, Senegal are untouchable. But based on what I've seen last night with that defense, I thought, she, they are, unvulnerable. Uh, uh, they are so vulnerable, even though they look untouchable on the scoreboard. There are two groups, though, that certainly stand out as being very difficult to pick who's going to finish first, second, third, or fourth in the groups. And I think uh, one of those groups is Group B. Uh, we've seen Algeria and, Zim- and uh, Zimbabwe already draw. But the other match, Senegal-Tunisia, was an interesting one in the sense that it was the first clean sheet of the, uh, the tournament as well. Where Diallo managed to keep a clean sheet. We're still wondering how, though, because Tunisia, I think, could have, could have scored plenty if they if they'd had a little more uh, luck going their way. But uh, overall, from the, the first four matches that you've seen completed, is there anybody that's stuck their hand up? Is, is, is anybody showing signs of going far in this tournament? And do you think Senegal did enough in that victory to prove that they are one of the teams to beat? Not yet, because uh, they could have been exposed by Tunisia. Yes, they got the maximum points, they got the clean sheet, but uh, they were not convincing. And against another team on the day, they luck will not be on their side, and they could be punished if they still get uh, their, their defense to be easily accessed, like we saw in the in the second 45. Because in the second 45, it was Tunisia all the way. Let's talk about the matches coming up. Uh, obviously, Cote d'Ivoire and Togo. I don't want you to necessarily comment on the result because they're, they're underway at the moment. Uh, Cote d'Ivoire is, is reigning champions uh, looking to begin the defense of their title. And then uh, Democratic Republic of Congo and Morocco playing in the match. Group C is not going to be easy either. But the fact that you've got two West African sides, a Central African team and a North African side, makes it an intriguing group, I feel, in terms of quality football. Uh, is there a potential of a, a winner coming from this group, do you think, with Morocco, for example, with uh, Renard in charge now? Well, uh, Morocco has to now start to raise their hands because uh, they realize that uh, the two other North African sides haven't really done what maximum results, and uh, they now have to say, let us be the big brothers. So they've got to make it difficult for DR Congo, and we know that DR Congo have really stepped up the gear, but uh, the, the champions, current champions, Cote d'Ivoire, 
They've got a lot to play for. They are defending champions. A lot is expected of them. The big names are still there. And uh, they are just uh, going out there to say, yes, we can. Dubai is there. He's the man that uh, is expected to stop everything that comes in uh, at the defense. Uh, at the defense of, uh, of Cote d'Ivoire. And uh, this is a man that uh, Manchester United would look back and say, we miss him, we miss him. <laughs> but that's uh, how unfortunate it is when it comes to Afcon and the European team. Uh, there is one more group. Uh, it's Group D. Now, this is, a, this is a group that, depending on which camp you seem to be in, some people are calling Group B the group of death, others are calling Group D the group of death, where Group D features Ghana, uh, Avram Grant's Ghana side that has got some quality players led by Gian and Dede uh, uh, The fact that Adama Traore is performing so well for, for Mali at the moment, Sambo Yatabare, the Yatabare brothers. You've got Uganda with Dennis Onyango, so familiar to South Africans playing in goal, and the reason that they qualified for the first AFCON in 37 years, uh, or at least among the reasons, plus Tredojevic, Micho, the coach who's been pulling the strings. And then you've got Egypt with Abdel Shafi, El Mohamedi, Esam El Hadri at 44, Mohamed El Nini, you, uh, you know, you've got uh, uh, Salah from Roma, you've got Ramadan Sorbi playing an Egyptian side that has the ability to surely go all the way and claim an eighth title. How do you see that group going? Well, the Egyptians will always look back and say, yes, we didn't qualify on two occasions. We have to make up this time and uh, we have to show our prowess. We are the seven-time champions and have to go out and say, we need to reclaim what we're known for. And uh, the names that you've read to those of the Egyptians, I've seen them giving the Nigerians a hard time in Nigeria, no yeah. And it shows you that they mean business. So I am fearing for money because the Egyptians will be all over them. But then uh, Uganda, obviously guarded by Denis Onyango in goals, he will be obviously leading his charges. That's the name that South Africa will be looking at and say, can now this man uh, stop the Ghanaians? And the Ghanaians, remember, they, they were uh, uh, unfortunate to lose in penalties <laughs> that was caught during even not only penalties, but the, uh, the, the, the sudden death. So you can imagine that the Ghanaians have uh, looked back and said, we've been so close, uh, so near yet so far. So this time we must go for it. And I don't still write the Ghana off at all. I think it's going to be a fascinating group, and I really do think it's going to be a fascinating Africa Cup of Nations, despite three draws in the opening four games. But, Marks Mappagnani, thank you very much for your time this evening. Go and enjoy the rest of the uh, Kudovar Togo game. Thank you very much, Ray. You're listening to Sport on SAFM, the next best thing to being at the game. SFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Now we continue talking Africa Cup of Nations, but one of the potentially great stories to emerge from the uh, 2017 AFCON is that two days after his 44th birthday, Egyptian goalkeeper Esam El Khadri is set to become the oldest player to compete at an Africa Cup of Nations final and uh, among the oldest internationals in history, of course. Now, Andre Aronser is the oldest player to ever play in the, uh, the, the PSL. He was at 45 when he came out of retirement to help Bidvizvitz beat University of Pretoria. I think it was 2-1 on the day. Back Back in May of 2013, I'm delighted to say the uh, record holder for uh, age in the PSL, Andre Ahrens, is on the line. Andre, thanks for joining us. Uh, good to chat to you, and Happy New Year to you, young man. Thank you, Dwayne. Thank you, matey. And uh, thanks for reminding me of the good memories about that comeback in 45. That's something that I really am not very proud of, but... Um, yeah, always nice to still be involved. Though. Look, I, what I remember most about that was I saw you the following day, and Andre, you looked like you were walking around like you'd just run a comrades marathon. Um, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to make light of this, but I mean, what does it take physically to still be playing at 
Well, Dwayne, you're not, you're not wrong. Uh, it's not so much the, the, the physical aspect, but more so the, the mental aspect of it. Mm. The game's quick. Um, you know, when you get to 45, the eyesight goes, so you're not seeing it early <laughs> enough anymore like you used to. Um, and you, you, you literally play and catch up with what's coming past and around you. Um, and, and that's what it felt for, uh, you know, uh, uh, for me at that particular stage. But, uh, you know, it was, it was for me it was a case of heeding the call. We were in a crisis at that time. Um, and, 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 um, you know, it was, it was pretty much, uh, as I say, um, you know, honoring a, a, a call to, to action. And, and that was, that was really it for me. But it was, um, it was something that, that, that will remain in my mind for probably being the most challenging part of my career ever. Yeah, I mean, look, in terms of playing at 45, I think it's just a remarkable achievement. It doesn't matter what level. But, I mean, we saw it as well with, uh, was it Fared Mondragon, the uh, Colombian goalkeeper, playing in the World Cup yes, in Brazil yes, yes. Uh, yeah. in 2014. I mean, he yeah. was 43. Yeah. He was well, well past yeah. his 43rd birthday and playing at, the, at a World Cup. Right, right. To be playing I, I, at a World Cup or an Africa Cup of Nations just must seem a step up as well. I mean, you're competing with guys half your age. Absolutely, and you've got to you've, you've got to look at the fact that the level's much higher as well. Um, so so that's an even tougher assignment for anyone. I remember in that particular game that I came back and played. The one thing that went through my mind for most of that game was don't concede one through the legs. That's all I wanted not to happen, and I was delighted, delighted that the one that did go in was top corner. Postage <laughs> stamp, yeah. But yeah, I think the thing that was going through my mind at the time was I was trying to work out how many PSL coaches you were older than at the time, and if I'm not mistaken, I think you were older than six PSL coaches at the time that you played, which. Which is which is rem- oh, yeah. it's remarkable. But I mean, you look at this yeah. and you look at Esam Al Hadri as well. Here's a but let's talk about him. Yeah, Absolutely. this yeah. is the thing. Is I mean, he has won himself four Africa Cup of Nations titles. No yeah. country has ever won more than four, except for Egypt, and he's helped them to four of their their seven, ninety eight, and then of course yeah. the successes between yeah. two thousand six and twenty ten. I mean, how do yeah. you regard El Hadri in terms of of overall performances? What he means to Egyptian football and what he means to to goalkeepers. Well, the only way to regard a player like that is with massive, massive respect um, for for what he's done for the game, locally and internationally for his team as well, and um, how he's looked after his body himself, uh, so that he could give his give himself such longevity in his career. And I think that is such an important lesson to lots of young footballers, never mind just goalkeepers. We understand that goalkeepers potentially could have longer careers than outfield players, but that is an exceptional. Uh, a career that he's had and still going strong. I remember him, and you, you'll help me with which AFCON that was, just the photos of him sitting on the top of the crossbar yeah. um, in celebration with his team with one of his AFCON trophies as well. So so that's what stands out in my mind. And he really has been a fantastic servant to Egyptian football. It's just amazing. Amazing story. Yeah, he was on the goalpost at the end of both 2006 and 2010, in fact. But uh, uh, some iconic images of uh, Hadri over the years. But I I do want to ask you this as well. I mean, is the media making too much of his age, or is this genuinely a significant achievement, in your opinion? No, it's genuinely a significant uh, achievement for me because... Uh, you know, you, you, you get people who will harp on the fact that he's a, uh, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a glory hunter, uh, not giving youngsters a chance. But what I say to that is, 
if no one else can take that jersey off you, then <laughs> you know what I mean. You've got to you've got to pay respect to what the man's done for the game. Yeah, because El Shanawi hasn't exactly covered himself in glory in recent years, and I yep. suppose they had to yep. go back to El, El Hadri, the, uh, the legend. I mean, it's hard yep. to believe that he was winning an Africa Cup of Nations 19 years ago, by which stage he was well established as a Egyptian That's number crazy. one. It's crazy to think. Yeah. But uh, generally, uh, goalkeepers at AFCON so far, only Senegal's Diallo with a, with a clean sheet at the end of 90 minutes. Uh, what have you yeah. made of the goalkeepers? Yeah. Well, I, 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 I've been very, very, very impressed, um, to be honest. I mean, you need, at this stage for me, you need look no further than Ray from Boli. What a oh, game yes. he's had um, <laughs> yesterday. I mean, the scoreline literally should have been 5-2 to Zimbabwe, as far as I'm concerned, had it not been for him. Um, saves that he had to make that really had goal written all over mm-hmm. it. So, from an all-round goalkeeping perspective, I really have been so impressed with goalkeeping, and that's been the, the, the Achilles heel of recent AFCON tournaments. Um, has been the goalkeeping departments of quite a few countries. And so far, from what I've seen, that's the one thing they fixed. Well, Andre Aaron, so it's talking about one legendary goalkeeper, talking to a legendary goalkeeper. Thank you very much for your time this evening. Go and enjoy the rest of the Africa Cup of Nations uh, action. I know you're analysing it. Uh, so, so go and enjoy all the action and uh, certainly hope uh, to see Esam Al Hadri out on the pitch tomorrow for Egypt. Absolutely, I'll be looking forward to that one as well. And uh, Dwayne, thanks for having me, mate. Always a pleasure chatting. SAFM Sports Wrap. Well, that's all we've got time for tonight. Uh, I can tell you that half-time in the match between uh, Togo and Kodavad, the defending champions, it is nil-nil in the Africa Cup of Nations. That is mildly disappointing when you consider that there have been glorious opportunities for uh, the Ivorians so far. They'd be disappointed that they haven't been able to uh, make more of the uh, the chances that they have created. That said, Togo have had a, a few opportunities. Well refereed, though, by uh, Gabonese referee. So, refereeing in front of his home crowd as well, uh, referee Otogo Kastan. That said, uh, that's all we've got time for tonight. Now, Lady Muleo is going to be up after the news with the talk shop, so don't go anywhere tomorrow morning. Janet Whitten's going to be on uh, AM Live. She'll bring you more sport, and then Brad Brown is back in tomorrow between 6.30 and 7 for uh, more coverage and analysis of all the latest sporting news on SF and Sports Wrap. I'll be back on Thursday, but from the uh, team tonight, producer Siobhan Chetty and me, Dwayne DeLocker, have a lovely evening. Cheers. It's 7 o'clock.